Okay, everybody, welcome to episode 60 of the Nerd Out Loud podcast. Everybody has that friend that won't stop talking about something, and we want to talk to that friend. So join us as we explore the human experience and discuss what we nerd out about and you nerd out about and everybody nerds out about. Welcome to the Nerd Out Loud podcast. (laughs) I'm Jeremy, and this is my illustrious, beautiful, glowing, (laughs) voluptuous... Okay, okay, let's just be done. Co-host. I'm Christy. Christina, and... We have a very special guest, finally... A friend of the show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mike Frizzell. Hola. Good time. <laughs> Welcome, Mike. It, it was about time that we had you on the show because every time we have somebody else on the show, we always get uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, a depressed chat at some point. Like, I, I can't believe you had that Him? person on before me. <laughs> Well, the the sticking point for me is you call anyone who's been on a friend of the show, <laughs> and these are people who uh, a lot of a lot of them had not listened to the show previously and may not ever listen Still, to the show. Yeah. I have listened since day one. I listened to Christie's previous podcast. I might have even listened to some of your sermons. You don't even know Danny, <laughs> back in the day. So, who was actually a friend of the show? Somebody who wants to go live on the moon, who, who doesn't understand what, what kind of show he's on, or somebody who's constantly listening, providing feedback, and giving you encouragement. Who is a friend of the show, whether or not they've been on the show? Well now, well, now you are, you are a friend of the show. Not, I, I would, we need to come up with another, another category, probably. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I would, say, I would say you are one of, yeah, one of the, the closest friends of the show. I don't know. What <laughs> Inner do circle. Yeah. Circle of trust. The BFFs. I, the, I was getting to the point where I wanted to do a um, Jimmy Kimmel, Matt Damon kind of joke and say that you were on every episode. But then I realized <laughs> that kind of is in the same vein of your prank that you guys did. Uh, I disavow any knowledge of a prank. <laughs> a prank ever happened on Takedown. And if it did... And uh, and Moyers doesn't like it. Fuck you, Moyers. <laughs> oh, he doesn't listen to this one either. <laughs> right out of the gate. <laughs> right out of the gate on that one. So, Sorry. you guys, thank you for tuning in. Tuning in on your radio station to the Nerd Out Loud podcast. As Christy ridicules me for every week, I have to bring up, there are a couple ways to listen to the show. You can stream right on our website, nerdoutloudpod.com. And of course, the two easiest ways go to if you have an Android device, many people prefer to use an app called Stitcher. We're on there. You can subscribe to our show. Every time we put a new one out, it'll show up right on your mobile device. And of course, as with just about any podcast, you can go to iTunes and find us on there. And, subscribe and for us. DJ, we're in the Microsoft, uh, yeah, whatever we're thing the, for the Zoom. We're in the Zoom, <laughs> the the Zoom store as well. The Zoom marketplace. Zoom marketplace. <laughs> Your show, our show, the Takedown Podcast, and several tumbleweeds uh, <laughs> marketplace. I know. So you guys got on there probably for DJ too, and how you got on there was you emailed just this random guy and said, "Hey, can you put us on there?" And then you just are just some yeah, guy with I, a I, Microsoft email. Our shows are probably in the top ten of the Zoom marketplace. <laughs> Right now. <laughs> well, do you think there's more than 10 shows in no. the Zoom marketplace? No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's probably seven shows, which places us both solidly in the top. Ten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sadly, we're number 10 out of seven. So 
So, Mike, we have a couple questions for you right out of the gate. As you've mentioned, we, we, a lot of the time when we have guests, we have them on uh, – we'll, we'll record kind of a beginning and an end segment and then usually just put them in the, for, for the middle. But as you mentioned, you've listened to the show uh, pretty much since, since the beginning. You've listened to Christie's old show, and so we wanted to have you on for the entire thing because we uh, – you know, you, you're, you're kind of like you're, – you're a surrogate podcast dad, Mike, and, <laughs> <laughs> and just like my – just like my real life father, I feel like I'm constantly disappointing you. <laughs> and one of the ways that we've discovered recently that that's happened is you're you're not. So we've we've changed our we've changed our theme song, or our, our intro music to uh, from Kate Nash to a, a little bit more a, a newer a newer song. And uh, and you do not approve. Is that correct? Well. Uh... We we have a takedown podcast that's going to be uh, released in probably a week from when this comes out, where we we talk extensively about this theme song and how I believe it was lifted uh, from a very successful regional ad campaign from Six Flags uh, <laughs> over Texas, over Tennessee, over all the places that Six Flags goes over. So you know I'll let people go over and, and listen to that episode for some specific complaints, but let me address. Um, the, the original problem I had was you replaced your original thong, song, which was Kate Nash Foundations, which is a song that I fucking love. It's so and great. I got Emily into Kate Nash and into that song. It's a great song, okay? So you replaced it, Jeremy, because two reasons. You thought um, it's not fair to take an artist's music, and two, eventually someday maybe you get sued for this. I'm not so much worried about getting sued. It's... It's more that there's just yeah there's some there's some best practices involved. I'm trying to do things on the up and up because I want to do everything we can to get our show out there. And sometimes there are services that won't promote a show or won't share a show or won't feature a show if it, if there's copyright music that's being played. Okay. I, I hear you, and that's a legitimate concern. But let me tell you, let me <laughs> dig a little deeper on this. Um, Kate Nash, there there's a chance. You know, we we use the Beastie Boys music in our intro. You used Kate Nash in your intro up to a certain point. And, of course, there's always a chance that these artists fall on hard times and they decide to go out after every little podcaster that, that ever played their music. Um, if Kate Nash ever starts doing any podcast research and is listening to your show, here's her song, and then here's you switch to this god-awful song and like five weeks ago, there's a good chance she's going to sue you for playing <laughs> – this fucking song. Yeah, I agree. Her song. <laughs> she just doesn't want to be. Uh, she associated. doesn't want to be associated with it. I see. And it, usually, you make improvements upon things, right? Yeah, yeah you don't. You don't. Um, I mean, it would appear that you hate your listeners. Actually, <laughs> and we, it's actionable. Well, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. So far, you are the only. You are the only feedback feedback that we've gotten about. Uh, about about the intro song, good or bad. So this is an open invitation for our listeners to uh, to, to make your make your presence known and let us know what you think of the song, if it needs to go, if we need to replace it, or uh, or what we should do. 
Well, definitely, let's blow the lid off this thing. I mean, the banana candy thing was a fucking goldmine for y'all. Yes. Let's, let's hit the theme song. Imagine the feedback <laughs> you can have on an actual topic. Right. Right. <laughs> At, well, the banana candy thing, we actually have. We actually have some. Christy has prepared uh, <laughs> for the first time. For the first time since the uh, <laughs> since since the in, inception of the show, I saw Christy actually preparing <laughs> beforehand for something. Wow. And I not. Know. Only did she she made a spreadsheet. So yeah. so we put out there on the Facebook page last uh, on our Facebook page, on my personal Facebook page, and on Twitter, uh, w- soliciting people's opinions on banana flavored candy. And it was uh, officially, I think, one of the most active posts that we've <laughs> ever had on our on the Nerd Out Loud Facebook page, which is both encouraging and incredibly disp- depressing. But uh, but Christy actually took the time today to compile all of those results from Twitter, from both of our personal Facebooks, and from the uh, from the Nerd Out Loud Facebook page. And you have you have the official results as to. I do what what uh, our fan base <laughs> our listeners say about about banana candy yeah oh do we want to talk about right yeah now? let's do it okay so we actually got 58 separate votes so some people continue to speak about it because yeah. they're very passionate it's really weird because it is polarizing either people love it or completely hate it except for you mike you didn't ever vote you just no, I'm 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 on the fence about banana candy and banana desserts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I always go in expecting good things, and sometimes I find I'm not disappointed. So I, I'm just not as passionate about. It. I think you'll find that I'm the wrong guest to have on Nerd Out Loud because I I don't have a lot of <laughs> passions, and I I don't actually have a lot of strong opinions uh, except about pussies. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I don't get work, too worked up about anything, and that definitely includes banana candy. We're breaking into the show for this special banana recap of the a reading of the things that apparently we didn't get to in the show. But Christina took the time to put together the spreadsheet. So I want to <laughs> honor her. And so now behold the reading of the banana quotes. <laughs> Bonus track? Banana edition. <laughs> um, Jesse Dolamore. Mm-hmm. Said, I don't even like banana flavored bananas. Oh. Good one. Like um, bananas. Jeremy Henson. Oh, we already said that one. Uh, cut that out. Ryan Zeus Martin. Banana candy is worse than those old people's strawberry candies your grandma pulls out of her purse and offers you as a quote unquote treat. That's rude. Robert Pape. One of my favorite ones. The only banana thing I like are hammocks. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Um, Benjamin Zari. I like that people hate it because there's more for me. Yeah. Um, Get on board with that. Yeah. Mahina said no. A thousand times no. Especially Laffy Taffy. Hashtag gagging. It in no way tastes like a banana or tastes good. If you're going to make a fruit candy that doesn't taste like a fruit, make it taste good. And the comment, someone commented that none of the candy actually tastes like what the fruit Mm -hmm. is is supposed to be and that's true. true yeah but she does have a point don't make it taste like soap doesn't um, taste like soap well joe agrees with you joe hawkins yes it's delicious what and the joe and the perfect palate cleanser between apple and grape mm-hmm. yeah so he like knows exactly how to eat joe it. knows <laughs> my sister cindy said candy banana yes real bananas hell no <laughs> of course <laughs> um steve steve clark 
The banana taffy is quite pleasant. Such a smooth finish and a light body makes it exquisite. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to say the word extra because I can't say what he said. Enjoyable. Um, John Polly, who is um, Jen, friend of the show, Jen's boyfriend, he said, yes, it is a major producer of foamy saliva. I don't know why that's a benefit, but he seems to think it is. So yeah. we'll go with that. Um, and uh, Chris Schulteis, I love banana candy because most people don't like it. And that means more free candy for me. So that was kind of a, a, a big one. That's what I say about beer. Is everyone is like, what? You don't like beer? Well, no. And there's more of it in the world for you. But the nerdiest, the nerdiest answer we got was from um, Mike. And he said, I've heard that banana flavoring actually tastes a lot like how bananas used to taste way back in the day. Now all bananas are basically clones of a single variety and the type of bananas eaten 50 plus years ago tasted much different than today. Same thing <laughs> as almond extract. It tastes nothing like today's almonds, but actually tastes a lot like how almonds at the time tasted. And here's what I have to say to that. Then bananas tasted like shit 50 years ago. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, here's what I have to say. Do you hear this sound? Yeah, you wouldn't let me that do a taste test on the show. Of a baggie of banana candy that I am going to partake in in this very moment. All right, guys. Bye. So, so yeah, we 50. have 58 votes. Okay. Separate votes. And the winner is Even Tie. Are you serious? Yep. 29 votes each. No. Isn't that so weird? Although, Does that mean I have the tie-breaking vote? I guess so. Although, what do you think about this? Three three people voted that only runt candy, banana flavored candies. Other than that, all banana is gross. So I think that oh. takes away three votes. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think that you I can. That I don't, kind of makes them no. I think yeah. those three votes. Yeah, I don't think that that can count. So then, no wins. God damn it. <laughs> so that is one thing is because Jeremy is very pro banana candies and I'm very anti. Well, just like Jeremy, yeah. just like Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Henson said <laughs> on one of the feeds that I read that that just means more candy, more candy for him. <laughs> yeah, I have some. Pr- I, I kept some of my favorite ones. So, Do you want me to read some of the comments? Yeah. yeah okay. Give us your highlights. Um, Joe said, um, fuck fake banana in its stupid fake face. <laughs> Um, then Jeremy Henson said, I enjoy banana flavor candy because I like candy. That means more candy for me. And I like getting all the candy. Um, Matt, Matt's was pretty funny. Let me find that one. Wait, Matt. Matt Baca. Yeah. Okay. Let me just interject (laughs) with this real quick. Not that Matt is ever going to listen to this, but, but Matt, chill out with the blatant racism. (laughs) Wait, what did, what did okay. you say there was so, racist? So first Matt's he started... Mexican, by the way, Matt is my um, co-host on the Takedown podcast. He's a Mexican hippie fella, and he's been on your show yes. very early on. What what did he say that was racist? So first of all, he said one of my favorite ones. Here's a complete list of people who enjoy banana flavor candy. Number one, dummies who are doing it wrong. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and then, then Kate <coughs> mentioned something about watermelon flavored candy. And you can just imagine where it went from there. I think, yeah, Matt posted a picture of uh, a man of color eating a piece of watermelon and made mention of his race. And 
it just completely shut like once he posted that it basically just shut down the thread some other guy some guy that i don't know that's a, apparently a friend of matt i'm not friends with him just popped into the thread and was like oh you made it racist <laughs> See, I, I miss this because this banana thing was sprawling across all kinds of social media. All kinds. Of, I can only follow so much of it. This was this was the. Hey, I, you know, it's better than ice buckets. Ice buckets. This yeah, was the thing happening on <laughs> on the internet last week. Well, speaking of ice bucket challenge, Mike, we uh, we need to have a little conversation here because uh, I I posted a video to the takedown Facebook page of uh, I called I called you out and challenged you t- tagged you into the ice bucket challenge and of you, course you did and you, and you shot you shot it down why wouldn't I shut it down I mean if everybody took this challenge and went and on Facebook and you know it just and, and, and posted their video this would eventually roll through all of our grandparents <laughs> and great-grandparents until you know until there's a Nigerian prince getting the ice bucket challenge. So I, I, th- I think if you, Jeremy, I appreciate the challenge, and, and you looked great doing it. It looked like you were having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 105 here in Austin. That would have been so refreshing to do what you did mm-hmm. uh, if you were here, especially after a long night at work and you come home and it's still 100 degrees out. I mean, to go face down in some ice uh, water would have been fantastic. But – I have to put a stop to it because yes. if You're nobody a steps hero. up and true takes hero. a stand, then then are we all going to give money to this charity? That I can't. I can't yeah. do that. That's so I bold. Can't, I can't. That's so bold and so brave of you, Mike, to to really take a stand to to plant your flag in the hill of mm-hmm. uh, of. I keep on wanting to call it Alzheimer's yeah. of ALS and uh, and and put a halt to this. Uh, but I also call menace. bullshit that people are actually donating. Yeah. If yeah, they did, yeah, there would know, be they... a cure by next month. <laughs> well, there will be told. now. Yeah. Last, the last numbers I saw from ALS were like $100 million or something ridiculous. And people like are saying that, that they're donating to ALS. Well, I hope they're not do- donating to ALS. I hope they're donating to ALS research. <laughs> right. Because yeah. if you're donating to ALS, ALS is going to fucking kick our ass. <laughs> right. It's going to be yeah. a super <laughs> disease. <laughs> And I'm and there's still fifteen dollars a month coming out of my uh, out of out of PayPal for Coney from the other <laughs> Yeah, and they never, nobody knows what happened with that. But I don't know. I can't what... afford that. I can only fund. I can only fund Coney. I can't fund <laughs> Um I don't know what's worse is the actual bucket challenge or people who are saying there's a drought and so I'm doing it this way. The people Jeremy had. About it. A lady who was doing it for... Oh, yeah. I had somebody who... A video popped up on my Facebook feed. I think I shared it with you, Mike, of uh, of somebody that was doing it in California. And, and she made a point of saying that there was, uh, there was a drought going on. And so it was shower water. And then she also brought up that she's standing in her rooftop kale garden. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, of course. So, yeah. it, looked, it, ju- it looked just like a, a pizza salad bar circa 1986. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I called in the drones because she just needs to not Drone. exist. Because also, didn't she do it for all her black people, all her black friends? Yes. This yeah, lady was as drone. white as a sheet and was doing it. Um, uh, which she tagged in as 
she said, some of the downest white people that she knows <laughs> that are black allies. And um, yeah. Downest white people? Is that Corky from Life Goes On? Yeah, right? yeah, no. ever met? <laughs> and I, I just think I'm glad she's on a rooftop garden. It will be easier for the drone to get her. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You can just use the heat signature of that kale to lock right in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we had another exciting thing that happened this week. (laughs) I I mentioned earlier that I I could say I could call Matt out for being racist on the podcast because I know he's never going to listen. So last week I also mentioned on the podcast, I said something uh, in regards to I said something about my mom and knowing that my mom would never listen. Well, my mom this last week called me out of the blue and said that she wanted to get together and have uh, she said she wanted to get together and have lunch with me and so we, we got together and we had lunch and this doesn't happen very often but we went out and we got coffee and like did whatever did our thing we're driving back to my work in the middle of the day it's like 15 minutes from the end of my lunch break and as we're pulling up to my work she looks over at me and she goes Jeremy I need to tell you something <laughs> and I've told my mom repeatedly I said you can listen to the podcast mom but I don't think that you would like it Mm-hmm. And I don't think you would like what you hear. She goes, Jeremy, I need to tell you something. I listened to the podcast. <laughs> and uh, she began to cry. <laughs> like hysterical. Oh, no. Like his- what, what was it you said? What did you say about she it? Listened to the she Ask listened Me Anything. to the Ask Me Anything episode. Uh, in which I mention um, that maybe I'm not quite in the same place uh, spiritually as I was. <sighs> A few years back, when I was that was wor- that that's a worse thing than telling her that you masturbate twenty five times, right? Yeah, um, and that I and made also, reference that they were into S and M. We talked about my parents' sex life. <laughs> I talked mm-hmm. about being a kid and them having a very active sex life. Which, by the way, I wasn't hey. inferring that that was a bad thing. No, hell no. I would be like, yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Right. Appreciate, <laughs> appreciate the the shout out for. For my sex drive there. <laughs> she wants us to edit it. But what what result? So for the next 45 minutes, we sat in my car in front of my work with my mom crying, very upset, very emotional, very concerned about me. She is under the impression that I'm being deceived by Satan. Um, she's very uncomfortable mm. with the fact that I am living with my girlfriend. <laughs> and she is upset about the fact that I think that Jesus is okay with cohabitation. And I explained to her, I must have missed that part of the Bible. (laughs) I must have missed Jesus's teaching on cohabitation. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was interesting. And of all the episodes for her to listen to, that was probably, probably one of the worst. Yeah. The poop cast, I think she really would have enjoyed. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Well, and we had two of them, so she could have, <laughs> she could have enjoyed yeah, it for poop, twice poop as much. Too. Whichever one had, had DJ's, uh, uh, dog rolling his shit. That, that <laughs> yeah. was the one that I liked. Uh, so Mike, have you ever had, have you ever had any, uh, situations where you've shared something on the podcast that came back to bite you and you regretted it or anything like that? Um, well, I'm married, so yes, of course. <laughs> um, Emily actually enjoyed the whole uh, ruse about her being deceased. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was a theme that went on the, on our show for probably three or four months, and then she actually appeared on the show and and put those rumors to rest. She enjoyed that part of it, but like it was a very casual mention about probably six seven weeks ago. I said something uh, indicating I was unhappy in my marriage or un- unhappy in general or something. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a passing thing. No one else but her would have noticed it. And then she's like, are you unhappy? 
You know, <laughs> you know when you when you get that real quiet question at bedtime or whatever. You know, yeah. so are you unhappy? I'm like, oh fuck, where's this coming from? Oh, yeah. What did I say? What did I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up doing like three. Uh, take down podcast embarrasses itself. Mike embarrasses himself. I, you know, all <laughs> kinds of insufficient apologies on the podcast about it. You know, so, I probably I probably should have just just said no and just let it go. But you know, we we'd like to dig ourselves bigger holes, right, Jeremy? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so so Emily actually listens to the show. She listens. Uh, yeah, she listens to take down pretty regularly, and usually she listens to it by the end of the day Monday, which we go up on Monday morning. Wow. Wow, I can't um I can't get Christy to listen to this show and she's on it. <laughs> well, good good on her cuz she's probably never heard that abortion of a theme song. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She probably doesn't even know. She probably doesn't even know I what it is. I think I heard it because when you were complaining about it, I said I need to listen to this thing and then <laughs> I agreed. Wait, you don't like it? I don't. I Oh. Yeah. This is the first I, time that we've had this conversation, so I like I'm the so K-Dan. glad. Well, I also wanted to ask Mike what he thinks about your new little intro about, and you have that friend that you... That, oh, no, I like I like that. That's, you do? Okay. That's a good explanation of the show. I mean, we're departing it from it tonight, because I don't nerd out about anything, but <laughs> um, but it's a good explanation of what you guys usually, the, the, the ground you usually cover. I like it. Well, thanks. It's good to feel supported for once, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I'm not shitting on you for five seconds. <laughs> so, all right, Mike. Th- we did um, – there was uh, – there's a big part of your life that I did want to talk to you about that I like – I love talking to you about and I love hearing you about. And this is how I actually got introduced to you. And so I want to try and just do – so for those of you that don't know – Mike is a uh, – I love saying convicted felon because I listened to Tom Likas a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> That's not hosted. So the Take Down podcast is hosted by a convicted, convicted felon. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. You need to do that. You guys Have absolutely need to do a knockoff of well, the uh, – You know why he did that? You know why he was ta- – he, he had that in his intro, right? Why? Um, G. Gordon Liddy at the time that Rush was you know getting taking off, really getting popular, G. Gordon Liddy was – a, um, a political operative for the White House who took some, you know, took some legal bullets and went to jail. And he was, um, you know, a, a very smart guy, very, you know, weird, though, conservative guy. And he had a talk show that was pretty popular for a while. And Rush was, like, taking a shot at him during his intro. And it just, G. Gordon Liddy has faded into the tapestry of history, and Rush Limbaugh is still with us as a, you know, gas bag force. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of an echo of the G. Gordon Liddy days that it's still in Rush's pattern. Ah. Okay. I think That's I, my Cliff Clavin moment for tonight. I, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know who it was, but I knew that there was, I knew that there was somebody out there. So, yeah, there's no reason for him to say that unless it was, you know, Ollie North or G. Gordon Liddy or somebody mm-hmm. who was, who was, uh, you know, making money on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that I wish that you or Matt were a little bit more politically conservative because then you could say it is hosted by a right wing wacko and a convicted (laughs) felon. Yes. Well, Matt, Matt has fallen off the edge of of, uh, politics. So his head will pop up someday on the conservative end. You could just say, yeah, you could just say drop the right wing and just say wacko. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mike, you. You are uh, or were at one time a bank robber. 
right? <laughs> yes, I robbed uh, I robbed sixty banks. Uh, I was I had to admit in open court to thirty eight of them. They didn't have good enough pictures on uh, some of the banks, this because this was a long time ago. This was late eighties, early nineties, and I had to plead guilty. I had to say I'm guilty to seven different counts in seven dif- different U.S. districts where I'd committed bank robbery. So yes, uh, seven guilty counts, uh, 38 admitted felonies, and yes, I did time with the feds for bank robbery. So what? Uh, how did you find yourself? Uh, wh- what led you to rob your first bank and to continue robbing banks? Well, it all went back to my college days. Like my junior year, I started to sustain some serious injuries from just playing recreational sports and um, it was the first time that I ever took painkillers. And once I took a painkiller for the first time, um, I decided I could deal with the pain, but I loved these pills. So I set them aside and used them socially and used them to, you know, feel good. You know, not not feel bad, but feel good when I wanted to feel good, when I wanted to be social or get through awkward family situations, things like that. So that from there was a short leap to addiction and it, it's um the the painkiller addiction happens pretty quickly but you can keep your shit together for a while you can be addicted and still functioning for quite a while it's a little bit different than some of the other very addictive drugs and i went through a couple bouts um of quitting and uh, i did graduate college just barely and then i tried to run away from my addiction i went to florida to go to grad school and i quit for a little while quit the pills but got back on them and always kept everything a secret from everyone. And back then you could get uh, you could get these drugs more easily because there was no communication between government, pharmacies, all that. So these Schedule One drugs, uh, you could if, you know you get a legitimate prescription or two, and then you know buy stuff on the street. So it was no problem getting seriously, seriously fucking addicted. And eventually I, you know, I had a family, um, my wife, I, I'd gone to grad school in Florida at University of Florida and my wife, I met my wife there, my first wife, and she was going to grad school there and I dropped out of grad school and we got her through her MBA and we moved to Seattle, uh, right after she graduated, but I was so addicted to pills and had was unable to work, was unable to focus for long enough periods of time that I uh, started a life of crime, um, you know, unbeknownst to everybody. And so for a while you were you were married and living with your wife and you were robbing banks during the day for your for your day job. Yeah, I was a uh, I had a wife and stepdaughter. And up until the time we got married, I was still trying to work. And then we got married. Um, we went on a short honeymoon paid for by you know, my parents and her parents. And then I was back in Gainesville, Florida and, you know, still high all the time. And I, we had watched uh, an episode of unsolved mysteries several months before we got married. And I had noted that the guy in the unsolved mysteries had robbed a bank and all he had to do was just put a note out there. that says, I have a gun, no alarms, no die packs, put cash on counter and they just give you the money you can leave and you don't have to, have a gun or threaten anybody or whatever. So that was in my mind for all these months. And then um, we got married. I was still fucked up. And I thought, 
shit, I guess I need to get some money. And um, I didn't really have a uh, really well-functioning car, so I took the bus up to Jacksonville from Gainesville, and I stole a minivan. And uh, then I was off to the races on my criminal career. Did you change the license plate? Yes, I did. I had a license plate. I stole a license plate before I went to Jacksonville. And when I got there, I went to several dealerships trying to, you know, get – because back back then, people would actually let you test drive a car. You wouldn't have to have the salesman in with you sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I went to a couple dealerships, and it didn't happen. Maybe I was in an area where that just didn't happen because I'm from Bellevue originally, right? right? <laughs> so they'll just throw you the keys and go, you know, have fun, Ace. Right. Yeah. But uh, in Jacksonville, they're like, okay, let's – okay, <laughs> give me your license and let's go <laughs> – uh, no, okay. Well, I changed my mind. I don't want to. I don't want to check out that Camry. Uh, and then, so I was walking from lot to lot. And as I was walking between lots, uh, there was a 1988 Ford Aerostar. Oh yeah. Like a one-year-old car at the time, and it was sitting outside a sur- the mm-hmm. service bay at the Ford dealership, and it was running. And I had my my little briefcase, my little portfolio or whatever, with me, and had the the screwdriver and the screws and the license plate in there. And I just jumped in there and took off. Wow. And so how long how long were you out robbing banks? Uh, about two and a half years, maybe three years. Uh, we moved to Seattle from Gainesville, and I kept, uh, kept at it for a while. And I ended up being a fugitive. I ended up uh, uh, going to San Diego as a fugitive. It was a place that I'd visited many times before, and I loved it. Um, so when I went on the lam from Seattle, I ended up there, but I didn't go on the lam because the, the cops were about to catch me because they weren't, they couldn't fucking figure it out because I wouldn't rob banks near where I lived. And I, you know, was careful with disguises and stuff like that. Um, they weren't about to catch me, but my wife was like sus- suspecting all kinds of things. Cause I, I had some bullshit job that I told her about and, you know, one time she found a lot of money in my car, and I had to do a bunch of bullshit to cover that up. Jesus. So it got to where she was about to figure out everything. So I just took off. Wow. And how long were you? How long were you out on your own? I was a fugitive for nine months. I left in January from Seattle, and ended up turning myself in in October. I drove up to Seattle from San Diego after quitting cold turkey the night that I decided to quit. Um, for many months previous, I had been calling in to this uh, radio show at night. These two guys, it was called Too Much Show, and it was on XTRA in Los Angeles. And uh, I'd been calling in almost every night and been doing, like, funny bits, like comedy bits. And they gave me the studio line so that I wouldn't have to... As one does when they're robbing banks. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, you know, I didn't have a lot to do at night. So I'd call in and do bits. Uh, I'd met these guys a couple times, and, and you know, like I said, they gave me the studio line and told me, you know, call here when you have your thing ready, and then we'll put you on. And um, eventually one of them was going to go on vacation. This was in September, like mid-September, and they told me I was doing my bit one night, and I finished my bit, and they said, hang on, we want to talk to you after after we're done. So they finished the show, and then they came on with me and said, hey, uh, Steve – is no Rick is taking a vacation. Do you want to fill in for him? And I said, of course, yeah, I'll fill in for him. So they said, okay, well, come in on Monday or Tuesday. It was a Monday night. Come in on Monday night and do the show. 
Um, so I went into the station on a Monday night, which was like right next to the California Highway Patrol station. They had their, their radio station. <laughs> and uh, the other guy happened to be on, at their studio in, or in not Orange County, but uh, in San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. So I was co-hosting with this guy who was, you know, in San Fernando Valley. And, you know, we just did our thing. And it was a funny show. And it was a good show. And I went home and um, I started thinking about it. And I said, you know, because I was a broadcast journalism major and I loved sports and I loved sports radio and news radio and all that. And this was, you know, a, a dream that could possibly come together for me because they'd already talked to their program director about me and, you know, you know, maybe a weekend show and work up to something or whatever. <clears throat> but I was thinking, this can't work out. There's no way this could ever fucking work out because even if I even if I got straight, even if I got sober, got off the drugs, uh, I'd be sitting there on the radio. I knew people lived in Southern California. Yeah. And somebody would tune in the radio and I go, yeah, it's Frizz. Yeah, yeah, he disappeared from Seattle, you know, in 1993. Yeah. So let's get. It. So uh, <laughs> I just decided it could never happen for me unless I got straight and sober and, you know, got back with my family and put everything back together. I I was going to die unless I fixed it by getting straight. So it took me eight days before I finally got in the car and started driving up to Seattle. There are many days that I don't remember. I built a suicide machine in my garage in case I couldn't take it, but I forgot about it until I went to turn myself in. So I got sober the night after I was on the radio and um, eight days later, I was driving to Seattle, and I went to my mom's house and uh, talked to her and my stepdad. And then I had uh, my stepdad drive me to the police station where I slid my license under the glass and said, look this up. I'll be over here. Wow. And nope. they came out and uh, cuffed me up, and uh, then I went to prison. Yeah. And how long, uh, how long were you in prison? Well, I got uh, I got lucky in a way um, <laughs> because uh, there are federal sentencing guidelines and there's a there's a chart that has like um, first offense, second offense, third offense, fourth offense, and so on. And then on the other axis, it is um, how many crimes. So uh, and it went like one, two, three, four, five, six plus. And so of course I was on the you know, zero previous offenses and the six plus current offenses. Yeah. But I was up there at 38 and the, the judge said that cause they have to sentence you within those guidelines. And the top of the guidelines was 71 months, which is uh, almost six years, one month short of six years. Mm-hmm. The, the judge said that uh, given the number of crimes that I did, 38 is way more than six. Uh, <laughs> she was well prepared to go way beyond the guidelines for me, but I had turned myself in. Mm. So she gave me the top of the guidelines. So I did 71 months, which in the feds, you do 80% of your time, sorry, 85% of your time, which uh, means that I did five years on almost six. Okay. That's, uh... And then I did, uh, I did three years of probation, but I was released a little bit early from my probation because I was such a good mole. <laughs> I have a few questions. Um, how was the withdrawal? How long did that did you go through it, and how long did it take you to get clean? I had previously tried to quit when I was taking about 16 pills a day, 
when I went to Florida, and I did quit, but uh, that took about four or five days. By the time I went to quit to turn myself in, I was taking between 24 and 28 pills a day. Whoa. Um, and I quit cold turkey, which is dumb. Yeah, you can die from that. You can, and recently I've been talking a friend back down through her addiction, and she had gotten up to about 20 pills, and over the last couple months we've gotten her back down, and she's done. But it takes that much time to safely do it. I didn't know. So yeah. I quit, and I, I don't remember anything for the first first three days. You didn't, like, WebMD it or <laughs> Not at the, no. Google it? Yeah. No, this was 1993, so there's mm-hmm. n- none of that. Oh. I mean, you just knew what you knew, or you went to the library and looked it up. I did. I did uh, microfiche. <laughs> yeah, you can look at the microfiche, figure out how to hook up a suicide machine in your garage in case you can't take. Well, and that's it. the point, also, is that you probably didn't care at that point, right? If you were thinking suicide machine. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking of like I'm going to try to do this. If I can't do it, I'll just check out. Um, but I forgot that I built the suicide machine in my garage, so it was just uh, eight days of the first few days me not really knowing what was going on and then just kind of being conscious enough to kind of clean up and start drinking and eating and eventually um you know spiff the place up because you know you don't want to leave the fbi with a you know big mess to clean up and then i got in my car and when i got in my car i had a panic attack and i didn't know what that was at the time like you get the numbness in the arm and Mm -hmm. it feels like a heart attack yeah, it feels. I was sure I was having a heart attack, mm-hmm. and I'm driving on the freeway. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to the next fire station. I'm just going to turn myself in there, you know, because I need to go to the hospital. But I somehow got through it, and I, you know, I got up to Seattle. But the problem was, I spent the first night in Sacramento, the second night in Eugene, and both nights, all it was was hallucinations. You know, some of the most horrible things you could hallucinate. Yeah. But I just kept going, and and. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I was driven by just I this was this was my stand. I was going to die or I was going to put it back together. And why uh why did you decide to drive back up to Seattle to turn yourself in? I wanted to see my mom. Um, you know, because I knew that like if I turn myself in in San Diego, uh chances of me getting up there like they're going to stick me in the county jail in in San Diego County. And that's not easy for anybody to see me or, you know, whatever. It's right. huge inconvenience and expense for these people. I've already put all through all this shit. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to, you know, say hello and check in. So what did, uh, I mean, did, did you warn your family that you were coming up? Did you call them beforehand? And how long no. had it been since you had spoke to them? Um, I hadn't spoken to anybody since I was a fugitive. I was a pretty good fugitive. So nine, nine, ten months or whatever. Yeah, nine and- months. I had not spoken to anybody. Nobody knew where I was. Uh, the FBI was convinced that people knew where I was, but nobody mm. knew where. I was. And that was, and, and so then you just showed up at your at your mom's house. Yeah. How did that conversation go? Yeah. Uh, they they were really concerned. Uh, my my mom, you know, said, well. I I know who the best attorney in Seattle is. We'll get this guy. And I said, Mom, you don't understand what's going on here. I'm not saying that I didn't do any of this stuff. These are the feds. They're going to fucking, you know, it's it's a conviction. And, yeah. and here's some advice to anybody out there who's thinking of fighting the feds. On the <laughs> don't. <laughs> just just take it and go and finish it and go back to your life. Don't fight it. 
And you always, in your story, you talk about how the the agent that was after you was kind of disappointed that he didn't find you, right? Yeah, he was fucking pissed. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I turned myself into the Bellevue Police Station. They took me. Uh, I was in the, their holding cell for maybe an hour, and then I think the King County cops took me down to King County Jail. This was like on a Thursday night. And it, by the time I got to King County Jail, it was too late to book me in there for a Fed because you need to come within business hours if you're a Fed. So they shipped me off of to the um, Immigration and Naturalization Jail, which has been redone, but at the time it was like the scary old-timey, you know, uh, all just all bars, sliding bars. Oh, wow. Jail. So they took me there. So my first night in jail was there. I didn't really sleep. Um but even before I tried to get to sleep, my FBI agent showed up at that jail, and they chained me to a desk, an interrogation desk, and he screamed at me for, it wasn't very long, 30, 45 minutes, trying to get me to talk about where I was, what I was doing, who knew what. You know, like he still wanted to go after my family and stuff for mm-hmm. knowing stuff. They didn't know anything. Um, and I thought I thought he was going to beat me. He didn't. He just yelled. Yeah. Uh, but Cops he was, don't hit he people, Mike. Because he was because bank rob- they catch bank robbers. They catch all the bank robbers, mm-hmm. and they would have caught me eventually. But I turned myself in before they did. And this guy who had been charged with catching me—I don't know if he was a laughing stock, but it definitely wasn't you know a badge of honor for him that dude slid his license under the glass at Bellevue Police Station. <laughs> yeah, although I don't know with the way that radio has declined since then. Uh, having a uh, you know having a DJ spot at a AM sports radio station might have been a great place to hide from the feds. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I think now there are probably seven sports radio stations in LA, and you can you can get lost lost in the noise. At the time, it was a fifty thousand watt from Baja to the Canadian Rockies. Oh wow! Station, so uh, they would have had me. Yeah. Did you ever think of just going to Mexico and? disappearing forever no i knew my drug addiction was going to kill me Uh-oh. whether okay. whether i was in san diego seattle mexico wherever yeah, I, I guess going die. to mexico where you could get it over the counter pretty easy would be a bad idea um yeah and and most of my drugs that i w- was buying came out of mexico and i knew how easy they came over so mm-hmm. i knew how easy i could get them if i went there but it wasn't that expensive. I mean, when you're robbing banks, you got enough money to pay for your shit. Yeah. Sure. So we have, um, I, I have a, a number of questions that we got from other people in regards specifically to, to prison. A lot of people had questions about prison and how that worked and all that kind of stuff. But I had a question. So I have a, somebody that listens to our podcast that um, she started – I think she became friends with you or something because we talk about your podcast enough that she became friends with you on Facebook and her significant other was very concerned that she was talking to somebody that was a bank robber and mm-hmm. she was it's a friend of mine and she was talking to me about this and I was like it, it just caught me as funny mm-hmm. when they said that because you're like I mean I joked about it earlier about you being like our podcast dad but you are seriously like one of the the sweetest people like uh, you're a very kind gentle soft-spoken man you know <laughs> you, you make fun of your 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 fair share of dummies online or whatever but you're you're like one of the most easygoing laid-back non like confrontational crazy people ever but I, i'm assuming that there's this huge stigma around the fact that you 
were, were a bank robber and went to prison and stuff like that. And so I, I guess I just wanted to ask you, like, how how has that affected – is that something that you have to deal with on a regular basis, like that kind of attitude towards you? Not on a regular basis because I only let in the people that I want to let in. So usually uh, they already know. Um, and they've gotten to know me in some other way. But if you're, if you're talking about like secondhand, you're talking about the husbands, the wives, the girlfriends, the boyfriends, the dads, the moms, they're all scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing you can do except just sit still. And, and I liken it to like when you go to prison, um, just sit still, watch, listen. Um, you know, it, eventually I'll win everybody over. I know this because I'm a good person and I'm a kind person and I will win them over. But for, you know, right now I got to sit still because if, if you're talking about like somebody that somebody's scared of, let's say it's a, just a, a pit bull of a human being, you know, um, people are going to be scared. Oh, it's a pit bull. Oh, I better, you know, I'm scared of this pit bull. I'm scared of this bank robber. Mm-hmm. Well, if you sit down and, and you, you coexist with this pit bull or this bank robber for a, a day, a week, a month, then you go, oh, wait a minute. He's sweet. Okay. This is okay. So I try not to take personally that, that people have that knee-jerk reaction. Uh, and and that's that's been an uh, evolution for me because you get impatient. You know, you say, I'm a good person. Why don't you mm-hmm. believe me? Yeah. Yeah. But eventually you're just like, you know, they'll figure it out. They'll see how I interact with other people. They'll see that uh, I, you know, might have a sharp tongue, but I have a very good heart. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Oh, sorry. I thought Christy had something. No. So, all right. So we did have. Uh, we did. I, I put out there on social media today. It was a little sensationalistic if you saw it, but I said we have a. We're gonna have a convicted felon that's done jail time in mm-hmm. prison on the show. Do you guys have any questions? And. We did get some uh, – we got some questions, almost all of them, from uh, from Jeremy Henson from the Eureka podcast, who's friend of the show, by the way, Jeremy Henson. <laughs> yeah, before me, by the way. <laughs> He's uh, uh, Ain't No Swayze on Twitter. But he did have some, some questions that I thought were actually pretty interesting, and uh, I figured I'd run them by you and see. So this was his first one. Do items that are traded like currency, i.e. cigarettes, um, even though they're banned now, fluctuate in value? Uh, the items that are in play, like he's right, cigarettes used to be a big thing. Uh, they got banned in 2004 in the feds, but they were in play when I was there. Cigarettes were big, uh, except in my unit. I lived in one of there were there were only two out of the eight units at Sheridan FCI Sheridan in Sheridan, Oregon, uh, that were non-smoking. The rest allowed smoking. So cigarettes had value. The other two items that were used as currency, small-time currency within the jail, were photo tickets, which were a dollar, and they were they were tickets that you could use in the visiting room to have your photo taken with your loved ones or your homies or whatever. Oh. And, and uh, those pictures those are pretty photos. awful. Those photos are pretty awful. Oh, they're terrible. I never had my photo taken. Okay, there. good. No fucking way. <laughs> and that but, was traded like currency. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, I mean, they cost a dollar and they got used all the time because there are lots of people that loved, you know, mm-hmm. lots of guys yeah. that were in there forever. They're going to get their photos taken with their loved ones. Uh, I'm only there for five years. You know, I'm trying to avoid having my photo right. taken into you know, because <laughs> I'm anticipating at some point in the future Gawker is going to have some photos. Exactly. 
of me in prison. But anyway, so photo tickets had real value, and the other thing that has value, and I'm sure this is still the case, are stamps. Uh, because a big way to keep in touch with people because your the phones are very expensive and you don't have internet for the most part um, access uh, from no jail. Wi-Fi in the prison huh well I think they have Wi-Fi but very few people have access to it, oh, at least got legal it. access to it. <laughs> so um, so the the stamps are something that's important and at the and when I was in jail I think they were uh, the book of stamps was like six dollars and forty cents or something and it traded as such. So uh, when you're betting on sports or anything that's going on in the compound, you can use photo tickets or stamps. Um, if you're big time betting, though, um, you just you just bet dollar amounts. And let's say Jeremy and I bet on an NBA playoff game. We bet head to head on it. Bet a hundred dollars on it, and I won the bet. Okay, so I know Jeremy's unit goes to the commissary on Wednesday night. So by Wednesday morning, I give Jeremy a list of items from the commissary that I want that totals $100. And then I meet him by the metal shack after he gets those items, and he pays me off. Oh, I see. So you would just do, like, dollar values, but in it would be no cash, yeah, in just food. in, in yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'll just give you a list of $100 worth of shit. Maybe there's a pair of shoes on there. Or radio and some groceries, and that's what I want. What kind of stuff did you guys have access to from the store, commissary? Um, yeah, we had lots of, of staple groceries, you know, sure. uh, like refried beans and rice and um, a cup of soups and, and you know, candy. And uh, one of the things that was really popular on commissary night was ice cream. You can get a box of ice cream bars or fudgesicles, um, but there's nowhere to keep them cold. So. No. You just need to know some guys that were rich enough to always be springing for ice cream and then just, you know, just keep walking around them on commissary <laughs> night. So, oh, you got a lot of ice cream bars there, huh? <laughs> you got a lot of fudgicles there. Those are melting fast, huh, buddy? <laughs> um, another one from uh, from Jeremy. Uh, I've been told that time speeds up in prison because every day is like the next. And before you know it, a year has passed. Is there any truth to that? There's two sides to that. Uh, the first is if you decide to retreat into yourself and be scared and be a house mouse and you just sit in your cell and read magazines or books or stare at the walls or listen to the radio, time is going to pass very slowly for you. Even though every day is like the last, it will pass slow. If you do like I did, and I enjoyed prison a lot. Um, <laughs> Take you, note, you, criminals. <laughs> you, you get involved. You, um, you you sign up for things, you play every sport, you coach, you umpire, you do everything that you can, uh, and then time just fucking flies by. My sure. time at Sheridan flew by. I wish I could go back sometime. So, so when you say get involved with stuff, do you mean get involved with like official prison activities or is this uh, unofficial below the, below the board stuff? Both. I mean, you can get involved in, in tutoring or you can get a job at the toy factory at Sheridan or get a job at the furniture factory or you could, um, you could teach a class. You could, well, what, what me and my Sally did, you know, we brought fantasy football and other fantasy sports to <laughs> Sheridan back in 1993-94 and you know we would spend a lot of time curating that and making it look like it wasn't a gambling operation okay and then you have hustles as well and, and my job was a, as unit clerk and that meant that I could have a typewriter in my room and I managed to get extra ribbons 
for the typewriter, and with that, those extra ribbons, I would type up gambling tickets that would I would pass off to my cellie who had a job where he could get them on a copier. And oh, wow. So together, we were able to fuel a lot of the gambling activity and collect a lot of money with that hustle. I mean, that stuff's going to go on anyway. I might as well be making the money. Sure. That's uh... And then also you've told me that you got an old typewriter part for a tattoo gun. Oh, uh, I didn't, but that's what most of the tattoo guns were. Oh, okay. Or like salvaged engines from small appliances or machines like typewriters. Yeah, my typewriter in my room, I guarded that pretty closely. The The ribbon was what I – the ribbon with all the gambling information on it was what I hid. They could come look at the, – the, the ribbon that I had in the typewriter had all of the payroll information for my unit on it if they wanted to look at it, and they would pull the ribbons out. But the the gambling ribbons were hidden. I think mm. between uh, between running a uh, underground fantasy football ring and uh, and and having to remember that you only have to serve eighty five percent of your time, it sounds like uh, it sounds like math skills are needed if you're gonna really <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna really. Uh... Well, didn't you make a lot of money because you were an English major, right? So you made a lot of money helping people type letters and their stuff to their lawyers, right? I was a, I was a broadcast journalism major, but yeah, same, same skill set. And I, yeah, I would type up their legal stuff. And then on Saturday mornings, because I was the clerk, the uh, unit manager, the unit counselor would let me into the office because I need to make copies of all the payroll stuff and then all of the um, paperwork that should be readily available for the inmates. So he would allot me with maybe an hour on the copy machine, and I would take the, the stuff that I'd written for these inmates and make six, seven copies, whatever they needed for court, and all that was pretty valuable to them. So on anybody's commissary night, I had stuff coming. Do you think they were on to you and they just looked the other way? I think, yeah. I think the counselor knew. He, he knew I was <clears> – <throat> the counselor definitely knew I was making illegal copies, but I did a good job. The unit ran clean. Um, the guys I was in charge of always did their jobs. So it was kind of a, you know, a wink agreement that I'll let you have a little hay here because I was making 29 cents an hour. So there's no incentive for me to do a good job for this guy. His name was Payne, Mr. Payne. Yeah, um, there, <laughs> there was no incentive for me to do a great job for this guy unless he you know, threw a little bone. But I would have still done a good job for him, but I figured out that you know, he was going to let me do some things and – um, and he always got our books. Like Jeff and I would have all the fantasy football, baseball, NASCAR, all that shit, yeah. golf in our cell. And the unit manager would take it, and he would always – our counselor, Payne, would always get it and bring it back. Uh, so he always talked that drunk of a unit manager off the ledge and <laughs> yeah. always got us our stuff back. So, Do you think that, that you got a little bit of a gambling addiction while you were there? Um, <laughs> or just was, that filled the days? No, I was always a, a gambler, but the, okay. how we made money wasn't gambling. We made money just printing the tickets. Oh, okay. Um, I never did much gambling in jail. You know, maybe a few a few books of stamps, photo tickets, things like that. But um, the serious gambling that happened in jail was just what we fueled. We didn't – Jeff and I weren't involved in it. I didn't have a lot of money. Um, I made I made money in jail, but I didn't have – I didn't go in there with money. You know, so I didn't like – well, let's set me up with a big account and let's start gambling. Mm -hmm. 
So, and then I have another question. Sorry. Oh, um, because you said that it, it was a great time for you. If you <laughs> hadn't turned yourself in or um, whatever, do you think you do you think it also helped you to stay sober? Yeah, I learned how to live a clean, sober life in there. Um, I learned how to take the activities that I'd always really enjoyed, which was writing, um, playing sports, and do them just cleanly, clearly. Um, I don't know. It was uh, it was a renaissance for me, and I, I looked at it like that. Like after my mind finally cleared when I was in county jail, I was like, I can't wait until I get to prison, and then I can I can blossom as a person. I can figure this thing out. Hmm. So I just bided my time through King County Jail, and you know, seven months after I turned myself in, I finally got to prison, and then there at FCI Sheridan, it was like three straight years of improving myself. So. Along the lines of uh, addiction and all that kind of stuff, another question that we got that I, I, I'm curious about, um, another one from Jeremy, how prevalent are intoxicants, homemade or otherwise? Well, the um, homemade stuff like Pruno yeah. doesn't happen very often because it takes a long time to cook and it smells real bad. Yeah, I've seen enough moonshiners to uh, to know <laughs> oh, how <geez>. that goes. <laughs> So there, a lot, a lot more batches get interrupted than come to sure. fruition. Yeah, uh, I had Pruno a couple times when I was in jail. Um, I kind of got drunk on the first one that was in King County Jail. Yeah, but the second one I had at Sheridan, uh, it wasn't no good. Um, and then uh, as far as like illegal drugs, like drugs brought in, they're pretty easy to get, but you have to be really liking drugs you know because if you're if you're making $17 a month and you're going to spend all of it for an hour of getting high yeah uh, you know unless you unless you have a lot of money it's hard to uh, i guess you know really stay into drugs while you're in prison you see a lot of those guys they they just start lifting weights because they get um they get some endorphins from that and then they go back out on the street and they don't lift weights and they get high it's it's mm. It's pretty prevalent. So, yeah. Uh, oh, but but uh, I'm sorry. The original question was how easy is it to get? I wouldn't say it's very easy because it has to come in either through some uh, corruption or yeah. through some visiting room shenanigans. Like we had a guy who <laughs> would just kiss his wife and swallow a bag of weed, and then we'd all wait, you know, for a few days. <laughs> oh, until Jesus. The Mm-hmm. It Emerged. just doesn't seem worth it. Like just no, <laughs> no, no. In fact, in fact, the worst story I have about that is I was in the halfway house, and there were all kinds of guys that were still trying to. They were trying to use heroin and you know still pass their UAs and stuff. And I was walking from the bus back to the halfway house, and we walked across the campus of. I walked across the campus of Seattle University, and I assume a lot of the people that were in the halfway house did that too. And I had to pee, legitimately had to pee. They would ask you to pee when you got home, you know, a lot of times if, you know, your color was up, your your number was up. But I walked into the bathroom uh, by the baseball field to pee, and there was a guy who was in the halfway house, and he was injecting urine into his urethra. Oh. Right in, right there in front of God and clip clop. Oh, Jesus. And, and I was, it scared me because... So he was a pretty dangerous guy. He came from a supermax, and he was finally sure. out. And he, you know, he 
I was friendly with him, but he was one of those guys who you're like scary friendly with, like, are, mm-hmm. are we kidding? Or are you about to kill me? <laughs> and, and then, you know, after I saw him, he saw me seeing him, and I thought, well, if this motherfucker gets a dirty, <laughs> you know, if, he, if someone tells on him, yeah. he's going to kill me. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. No one's ever been rooting for a guy to get a, you know. Clean you. <laughs> pool a urine test. And I went, like, come on, man, let this fucker through. Let him, let this dangerous motherfucker out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Would that actually so, work? I don't get how that would work. Oh, it works. It works. Oh, because you would, uh, like, hold it in, kind of. Yeah, you, uh, oh. you, you run a tube up there, and you, you pump in the clean urine, and, you know, if it's in there for half an hour, it gets to body temperature because they test temperature as well. Oh. Uh, like you can't just dump urine into a cup. Oh, you know, my It has God. to be body temp. So you let it marinate in your body, and then you pee it into the cup when you get to the halfway house. This and, is and you're good. And, <laughs> but, Jeremy, here's the thing. Um, what we're saying is you must love drugs. Like, right. Yep. This guy – <laughs> I wish I loved anything as much as exactly. Yeah, yeah. when he shoved that is tube it, up his urethra. Is it really worth it? Is it yeah. really worth it? <laughs> the the twenty minute high that you just got? Because I fucking love drugs. I don't love them now, but I loved them so much. But nope, that tube ain't going. Yeah. Nope. Wow. Well, maybe uh, we'll have to try and track that guy down. See if he's on Facebook. He's probably not alive. Frankie Gutierrez, by the way. Oh, Frankie geez. Gutierrez. <laughs> Nerd Out Loud podcast. Wilmish <laughs> <laughs> County in Washington. <laughs> so, all right, I got one last one from you, and this is from Ryan Zeus Martin on Twitter. Uh, legitimate question. Is the whole dropping the soap threat a real thing in prison, or is that just, like, a joke? Well, it's it's a joke at this point. I think it grew from a grain of truth, which was that I think there was a point in history where a lot of inmates would shower together. And maybe some bad things happen in those in those um, those uh, community showers, or I don't know. Um, my experience was the showers were always private or semi-private. What will happen to you if you are small, weak-minded, or weak-willed, uh, and/or cute in a girlish kind of way? I mean, I know this sounds terrible, mm-hmm. but these were the the guys that got taken advantage of. These, these are the guys that had problems. Uh, if you had your wits about you and, and could analyze the situation, or if you were large enough or athletic enough or both to where, yeah, you okay, this guy really wants to get his rocks off, well, it's going to be a fight, you know. Um, you didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. I, I never I never really worried about it. Even when I knew I was gonna turn myself in, I wasn't that worried about it. Because I'm six I was six I am six two, I was about two twenty at the time, and I was athletic and I was like, Who's gonna find it worth their time? Sure. To, I mean, okay, maybe you're gonna maybe you're gonna have, have a nice little orgasm. I'm also gonna beat the shit out of you. Yeah. So how's that? <laughs> so they're gonna move on to the next easier target. So right. I would say if uh Mr. Martin, if you're going to prison <laughs> Um, probably don't worry about it. If you're smart enough to ask the question, yeah. then you're probably smart enough to get out of getting raped. Sure. So, Mike, where does that uh, where does that leave you now? Like, what 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 is your? I mean, so this obviously this whole experience that you went through um, as a young adult, like it, it it obviously has kind of shaped who you are today, and it 
changed your life in many ways. It gave you an opportunity to get sober. Uh, you have, you know, <laughs> kind of found, like you said, I think a renaissance in, in prison. Is there, do you have any like long-term plans to, to do anything with that? Are you going to like become a motivational speaker or? Well, for the longest time, like for the first, uh, God, 10, 12, 13 years or whatever, I didn't even really talk about it with anybody. I didn't talk about my bank robbing experience. I didn't talk about my drugs. Um, I didn't talk about prison. Yeah. And mainly that's because I, I didn't want to be that guy. I, I wanted to be somebody who you accepted as a peer, um, as an equal, as a coworker, before I started talking about it. Because I think if you just jump out of prison and you start preaching, eh, it's a, I'm dubious yeah. of that. So let's prove yourself as a person, as a genuine person, before you start uh, blabbing about it. And the first time I really talked about it, uh, extensively in public was on TBTL, the, the podcast yeah. in 2009. And, you know, I told most of the story and I'd also, at the time I had written the better part of a book about it. The book is fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> everybody who read it said it's terrible. I never want to look at it again. Yeah. It's awful because it's hard to capture the tone of our conversation in a book. Yeah. So um, I went on the TBTL, and we did an interview, a four-hour interview, and they split it up uh, over a series of nights. And, you know, I can make that available to anybody who wants to hear it. Yeah, it's I really think great. I have, I have all those links that you've sent me, so I'll, I'll put them in the show notes uh, for the, and on, the, on our, you know, website when we post the show. So be, people will be able to track down those those episodes if they want. Cause it's basically, I mean, you said it's like a four hour version of what we just talked about. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more detail. Um, Luke has a lot of questions and uh, that sort of uh, cleared the deck for a while. I got a lot of feedback from people who were uh, in addiction or whose loved ones were in addiction, even people whose loved ones were in addiction and doing crimes or were in a prison. And it was, great to be able to help some of those people and even if I couldn't help them at least try because uh, not everyone's ready to get help yeah you know it's just uh, that that kind of thing happens in fits and starts you, you might be ready three times from now but we need to get through this time of you trying to get there so yeah. at least we can go through the motions now of, of trying to help you so um, in the in the interest of telling the story having it as a legacy for my loved ones and helping anyone that is in the throes of it and is is open to suggestion being able to pull their pull the nose up in their life before it gets as bad as mine did um like i said i have a coworker going through it right now and for now she's pulled the nose up and there was no damage to her family mm-hmm. Um, so if, if this is it for her, that's fantastic. If not, maybe we're, we're one fit or one start closer to eventually her being able to kick the thing for good. Sure. So what, what I have in mind right now is because the, the interview format worked was getting back together with someone, um, probably Luke and doing a more in depth interview about it. Cause we, we, like I said, we talked for about four hours there's really about eight hours of material, maybe you know ten or twelve, depending on what kind of questions are asked. But sure. uh, of the whole experience from front to back, from you know my my childhood susceptibility to addiction all the way up until 
today when I'm finally living the boring life that mm -hmm. I've sought, you know, <laughs> since I was 27 years old and turned myself in. So yeah. um, the future for me, as far as this story goes, is just keep interacting with people and maybe we'll do another audio version. But book-wise, it comes off really badly. I come off like I'm bragging that I beat the FBI. I come <laughs> off like I'm bragging that I robbed all these banks. But, you know, bragging, bragging about being able to break the law 60 times in a row is like bragging about being the best quarterback in North Korea. It's the, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Good for you. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, Mike, I really appreciate, oh, did you have something, Christy? No. Oh, I really appreciate you being willing to uh, share your story with, uh, oh, Nelly. Oh, I don't know what just happened, but there was just a really loud noise on our end. Okay. Anyway. I really appreciate you uh, being able to um, share your story or being willing to share your story with us. Again, I, I think that um, – I mean I'm sure that there's a fair amount of crossover between our two shows. But I think that there's uh, – I, I know personally that um, you know I, you shared a lot of stuff that I wasn't – hadn't necessarily heard or whatever. So I, I appreciate you uh, coming on and being willing to share. I think that's pretty – that's a pretty impressive story. Can y'all do one thing for me? Because you, you, I, on the run sheet it says I can critique your show. Oh, oh yeah, no, we're coming up on that, but you can, uh, you can jump in now. Go for it. Okay. You used to do a segment where you asked what someone's favorite swear word was, and back before I was a friend of the show, I really wanted to tell you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dick Skinners. <laughs> what exactly is that? A Dick Skinner is your hand, um, and specifically a guy's hand. And the reason I think about it tonight was there was this guy named Randy Miller who we'll do a takedown podcast eventually about. He was at uh, Sheridan, and he he had all the jargon. He had all the prison lingo. And he was, like, the go-to guy for if you ever wanted to know, like, a prison limerick or whatever. This guy had all of it. And one day somebody made popcorn, put it in a bowl, and it was being passed around the TV room on a football Sunday and Randy would always bust somebody's balls, and he was busting this guy, Robbie Naramore's balls that weekend for some reason. And they're passing the popcorn bowl around, and Randy Miller said, hey, hey, Robbie, get your dick skinners out of there. That's that's for winners only, right? Yes. <laughs> dick skinners. I like that a lot. And I found out later it's like a military. It's one they use in the military a lot. But, uh, I but like it. I, 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 I thought from the very beginning I wanted to get on your show. <laughs> I think that was back from the uh, What Are We Doing days, the Christie's original podcast. Oh, really? So I'm I'm going I'm going pre way back. Yeah, we actually we got we reposted a bunch of those. They're they're back live on uh, on on the old. It's like What Are We Doing net or something there. I posted yeah, a bunch I couldn't of get on that show either. I would, could never get an invite on that. <laughs> well, after they fired their producer, it all just went downhill, and then they stopped <laughs> recording. Yeah. What a fucking addict that guy was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had just talked to Jen about it, actually. She said, you're not still doing that highly inappropriate <laughs> podcast, are you? <laughs> I'm glad I brought it up. Hi, yes. Jen. <laughs> so that was... Um, that was the show. So, Mike, where can people uh, where can people find you if they want uh, to uh, hear more? If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Drew McFrizz, D-R-E-W-M-C-F-R-I-Z-Z. Uh, Takedown Podcast, we have a website, takedownpodcast.com, but the best place to come follow us is on Facebook. Just look up Takedown Podcast. 
um, insane amount of yeah. shit goes on. on our, we have so many people contributing um, some awful content. <laughs> yeah, Facebook page. If you don't like it, if you don't go and like it, you're doing yourself a disservice or a huge service if you hate yeah. <laughs> weird shit and dummies. So so that's a good place um, to, to get hold of us. And then you can always friend me on Facebook. I'll friend anybody. Don't even worry about it. And before you sign up, I want to do Christy's part tonight. Oh, okay. We'll let you, uh, okay, we'll let so you do you Christmas. <laughs> well, you kind of invented it, right? Uh well, yeah, I heard you say I heard you say it, and then I offered to pay you a dollar yes. for every week that you signed <laughs> off with that phrase. But I'm going to save myself a dollar this week. Yes, nice, I like do. it. Well, guys, you know where to find us. We on our website nerdoutloudpod.com. All of our contact information is on there. You can hit us up on Twitter at nerdoutloudpod, Facebook.com/nerdoutloudpod. Let us know what you think of our wonderful new, beautiful intro music. Uh, and uh, yeah, t- tell tell us how you feel, guys, because uh, because we want to hear. And with that, Mike, do you have any last words? I don't care if you love or hate Nerd Out Loud. Just don't talk shit and don't make up lies about Christy. <laughs> All right, guys, and I'm uh, I'm really bummed that we didn't get to talk about space tonight. <laughs> no one else is. <laughs> All right, everybody, let your nerd flag fly. Okay, I'll do the first part, and you do the big one. Just banana taffies. Taffy-tastic. Disgusting. Is it making you have foamy saliva? It's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like you're making love to it. Maybe I will later. Throw the mic away for a few seconds. Sure, the banana taffy gets some, and I don't. Okay.